Hi, this is Robert Kuhn on The Pulse, and today we're looking at theology of the body, teaching theology of the body to young people. So, training to talk theology of the body to teenagers. So, well, teenagers have a hunger to be looking for something bigger than what they are. They've got a craving for love, a desire for freedom, to be different, and to set out their own path. And teenagers are very busy, distracted, and media-saturated. A teenager who texts is looking for a relationship and desire to be included, with a fear of being left alone left alone teenagers are looking for communion they're uncomfortable being alone or in silence because they're looking for a relationship and teenagers are oversexed underdressed and ready to hear the message of theology of the body so we all have a desire of communion and a desire for love and theology of the body is a gift that god gave to the church exactly what we needed when we needed it pope john paul said the most fundamental vocation of every human being is love and this is the great quote that encapsulates what being human is all about we can't compartmentalize what it means to be human. So in his first encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, Pope John Paul said, man cannot live without love. He remains a being that's incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless. If love is not revealed to him, he does not encounter love. It's if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate in it intimately. So many teenagers are searching. They don't know what they want. They're wandering around searching for truth and love and want to experience love. And John Paul too takes... So that's the origin, how it is connected to life and relationships, finds humanity wandering and looking for who we really are and who we're called to be. So Theology of the Body is comprised of 129 talks, six more of which were discovered at a later date. It answers the question who we are by looking at the origin, present and destiny of man. It answers the question of how we are to live by looking at marriage, celibacy, love and fruitfulness. Helps us to, in different ways to see what it means to be human, Theology of the Body answers who is man from the beginning, where we are now and where we are going. It delivers an adequate anthropology because many of us have lost what it means to be human. It helps us to put Christ at the centre of our lives and to untwist the desires of our hearts, overcoming concupiscence so that we're not left to our own desires. So it's a bold statement to say that Theology of the Body is a new delivery system for our faith. John Paul spent five years of his life on this important topic and how, it really, how important it is. When we unpack it, some authors have said it will help how we understand virtually everything in the creed. Theology of the body has some long-lasting effects, influencing how we see the church, the world, freedom and liberation, the vision of life and love. It's well worth standing up on. So Bethius once said that a person is an individual who is a substance of rational nature. Man images God more in communion than in solitude. Everything we do, the way we breathe and move is expressed through the body. Our desire for communion in our sexuality is a beautiful gift. God gave us these desires from the very beginning. In the Catechism, it says that God himself is an eternal exchange of love. Marriage is a full taste of the eternal communion of heaven. It helps point us towards heaven. The word sacrament means sign, but it also comes from the Greek mysterion, meaning mystery. The body is in a sense a sacrament because it reveals to us something of the deep mystery about God. The body alone can make visible what is invisible. God desires to have a deep and personal relationship with us because he loves us. So theology of the body, the difference between loving and using. Many stories in our culture are not love stories, but love stories. The use of other people is so prevalent in our culture that at times it's in a subconscious way and part of how we live. St. Thomas Aquinas said that love is willing the good of another person. John Paul II said that love is not merely a feeling, but an act of the will, referring the good of another to the good of oneself. Love is not easy. Many people talk rubbish about love as how you feel, and it should be a cussy, sweet feeling and nothing more. 
It's easy to look for love in the wrong places. It's also possible to feel the emptiness of being used, just as we can use others for our own gratification. Love is a constant decision. As a generalization, guys will give what looks like love to get sex, whereas girls will have sex in order to have an experience of love. So Jeremy Bentham invented the philosophy of utilitarianism. This can be summed up by the rhyme, maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain, using another for someone else's gain. With this philosophy, it's possible to use another person in order to have the most amount of happiness. The personalistic norm is a standard by which we can all define love and the opposite of love. Person is a subject that must be lived every moment. The only adequate and proper response to a person is love. Anything less is not treating them well with respect. And we can recognize both the exterior and interior beauty of others. What is the opposite of love? It's not hate or lust. It's using someone. To use another for my own desire and needs is not loving them. Mother Teresa once said that Satan does not hate us, for it's worse than that. He hates God. He's trying to use us to get back at God. John Paul defined love in different ways. He talked of love under three definitions, attraction, desire, and goodwill. Desire sees the other person as a good for me. Goodwill intuits that we have received the love of God, and now we're able to reciprocate this love. The theme of gift it returns again and again to the theology of the body. To love another person is to make a gift of oneself. John Paul II said, man cannot find himself apart from making a sincere gift of himself. This vocation is in essence disinterested love. So chastity is a word that needs to be rehabilitated. Some people think of chastity as abstinence, but abstinence is simply the lack of activity. If we only have abstinence, it's merely a negation. But chastity is a positive virtue. Chastity is not repression, it's about integration. The stuffing away of our desires through repression can lead to explosions. Holding back of sexual desires can lead to an unhealthy sense of sexuality. Chastity is about learning to channel the energy we have and saving the fullest expression of sexuality into a marriage. In this way, we learn how to behave properly with the opposite sex and gives us a greater sense of freedom. The fire of our desires is not a bad, but a good thing. In essence, chastity is vocational formation. It's a virtue that falls under the cardinal virtue of temperance. It's preparing to give yourself away in love. We need to train for this. It's an apprenticeship in self-mastery and a training in faithfulness. We work out in the gym in order to build up muscles. Should we not train spiritually too? In the catechism number 2337, it says that chastity is the successful integration of sexuality, the inner unity of man in his inner being. As a vocation in itself, it's preparing the way to love. So real love is something that's self-donating and not self-seeking. And the only proper attitude to other people is love. We can only we can measure the quality of relationship by how much giving there is as opposed to using. So chastity is a difficult and long-term matter. It doesn't tell a, it, it doesn't tell a no, but it's a yes to love and brings freedom. It's learning how to avoid manipulating others, to treat another person as a means to an end that's not loving them. And to fill in the notebook. There's a scene where they agree to have premarital sex. The main characters come to use one another. One good exercise is to rewrite the scene, adding the appropriate words. One example might be, I want to love you like no other guy has loved you before. So an examination of conscience how to work, helps us to work out exactly where we are, what my life is really about. It helps us consider how to proceed with true love rather than the emptiness that comes from using. Pornography is something that tries to separate the body from the soul, trains you to look at somebody as an object to be used rather than somebody who likes to be loved, strictly seeing the other person as an object. We no longer see the integration between body and souls. It hurts future marriages and relationships. 
love is something that is God's idea. We have to train to find out what love really is because it's something that will make us happy. Help others to see love in your life. So theology of the body naked without shame. You do not have to believe that everything is literal in the Bible. It's important to be not to be hung up on misconceptions like this. What we do have to believe in is that God created us. He created us man and woman and he gave us free will. Genesis is a book portrays profound truths. John Paul II describes the stories in terms of how they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Many teenagers think they know all about the story of Adam and Eve already. They've heard of original sin, but as teachers, it's important to convey the beauty and splendor of this story. So in the beginning, Adam was alone in the visible world as the only human being, and this is known as original solitude. He didn't see anyone else like himself. He knew that he was created for a relationship with God, and Adam is all of humanity's experience. Women also have a heritage of this original solitude too. The author, Scott Hahn, says God gave Adam an itch that only God could scratch. God did this through the gift of woman. It might be that God saves the best until last because he created woman last. So the spousal or natural meaning of the body means our capacity to express love. It talks to the meaning and being of our existence. And understanding the spousal meaning of the body helps us to see the real significance that we were created for union, that we're meant to be for the other. Our desires are good and they are for God. So what would society look like if, no, if, if we were not used by other people? Imagine if you could walk down the street naked and that no one would objectify you. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had original innocence. This was a state of purity of heart. They didn't want to manipulate or use one another. Adam and Eve were able to see with purity, to see God in each other. Adam and Eve were able to love as God loves before original sin. We cannot tangibly see God as a person, but God draws us to himself through other people. We are all called to make visible the invisible love of God in our lives. Our desires ultimately are for God. Sometimes it's easy to forget that God is there. Man can make woman just as woman can make man an idol. We're not fully capable of satisfying the deepest desires of each other's hearts. Only God can do that. We idolize each other. We can mistakenly believe that human relationship can bring complete fulfillment. God is the source and summit of desire in a relationship. And women can be susceptible to pride in a culture where men look at women like objects. Some girls want to be looked at and become desensitized in this process. Girls can even feel upset if they're not objectified in this way. But we must be a temple for God to live in, being able to bring other people to God. In the beginning, things were not so messed up. The union of man and woman brought them closer to God. Only after the craziness of original sin, everything became so manipulated. So the stories of Genesis in many different ways can be compared to our modern day and age. We see the effects of original sin all around us. The marital sex union was ordained by God as something that's good. The meaning of our existence can be seen through married sexual union. If married love is one of the least inadequate ways of describing God's love, then the devil will be surely attempt to thwart it. Satan is not only the enemy of God, but is also our enemy. Satan cannot create things, but he can twist and damage what's already been created. He is at the bottom of simple acts. God has given and blessed us with desires, and he helps us to make free choices with our decision. God wants us to choose him freely. And Genesis describes the time of original innocence when we were naked without shame. This is when mankind was so secure in the love of God, there was no such thing as shame, and there was a time when there was only love. However, being naked without shame is not only the same as being shameless. Not the same as being shameless. This is when we don't see the value of other people or even use our own body as a tool. It can be flaunting, drawing attention to myself or showing off. 
So John Paul talked about the need for shame. Shame has both a positive and a negative function. It also acts as a protection against being devalued. Our media manages to violate a lot of people. In what ways do you think it promotes a culture of shamelessness? So we all have the capacity to desire good. If we can imagine the beauty and innocence of the Garden of Eden, we can try and recapture and live this out in our own lives in a state of grace. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and take heart, all who hope in the Lord, how young people find redemption in Christ. So many teenagers live with a lot of tension in their lives. We live in a fast-paced world, and many people living with a great deal of responsibility. There's both external and internal tensions tugging on our hearts. Many teenagers don't have a lot of good models overcoming concupiscence. MTV is not going to help you overcome the tension of our own hearts. Many of the world's problems come from the human heart. This is the root of many problems. In Philippians 4.13, it states, I have the strength for everything through him who empowers me. True change only comes with having an internal spirit heart transplant. It's not about externals changing. The human heart's called back to purity and the origins of what we're called for. Everything we do is worthless unless we're healed by the redemption that Christ offered. Sometimes teenagers do not understand what redemption is. Sometimes it's good to use a suitable analogy. Christ calls us to offer him our lives. He gives us a heart that's redeemed, that's more capable of love. Romans 8.23 says, We also groan within ourselves. We wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We're called to live in eternity and in perfection. We can find our hope and fulfillment in something that's finite when we end up empty again. There's a lot of despair and depression in teenagers today. Teenagers are looking for hope. They don't want negative family experiences or to become miserable statistics. They want to be offered the hope that they desire. They want to receive hope and redemption in Christ, whether they know themselves or not. So we're destined to share an ex ex eternal exchange of love. Marriage on earth points us to a mystery towards marriage in heaven. Many teenagers have a distorted view of marriage. Some can only see the darkness in their own hearts. Some are full of feelings of guilt and regret. Despair is when we stop caring, desiring the perfect. In heaven, there will not be any blemishes or filth. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Christianity is not religion to be hung up about the past. Hope always looks forward to what he has destined for us. Suddenly, we have a life plan and we have all, all we have to do is accept it. We need to allow God to pull us towards the safety of heaven. Christ did not leave us with a bunch of coping mechanisms. The God is omnipotent, the hope of every day. Every day, God's mercy is in you. He can overcome evil with good. When we learn to forgive others, we learn to forgive ourselves. We can live in peace. When we say to Jesus, I am yours, take me and make me new. He offers us hope and healing and loves us where we are. We have a free encounter with God's mercy and redemption. So God has revealed the whole meaning of our existence through the spousal meaning of the body. We have great dignity because we're made in the image of God. The inestimable worth that we have comes from God alone. No matter how many times we've been trampled on or trampled ourselves, we have great dignity. We can never lose that dignity because it's innate and inviolable. Christ offers us his love. It's up to us to work out how to live out his love for us. So if there's many people who come from difficult backgrounds and go on to have a great family, then we can too. We can move from addictions to redemption, absolution and freedom. We have hope to share in the resurrection of the body, a glorified body and the communion of saints with eternity. Now is the time of invitation to a new heart, transformed by hope, by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a hinge moment that will determine the rest of our lives. So you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Finding truth and freedom for young people today. Young people want freedom. They want to be free from the restraints of their parents. We live in a culture that describes freedom in so many different ways. 
We desire love more than we desire freedom. Pope John Paul said, freedom exists for the sake of love. If love is to rise up out of our own hearts, we must use the freedom we are given to return love. Society tells us that freedom means to be to do whatever you want, whenever we, you want to do it. If it feels good for you, it's good for you. But freedom without responsibility is the opposite of love. This is a self-centered version of freedom. It does not look forward. Love looks towards the good of another person. So many young people want to be free of the rules, church and parents. They want to live in freedom as it means, as it meant no rules, no responsibility, and no commitment. But the more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. No freedom except in doing good. So we need to bring young people back to the concept of objective truth. Even though we can attain truth from certain subjective experiences, we need a standard of how to be free. And truth is up for, up for grabs in today's society. If people think it's good for you, it must be true. Something's objectively true, it's true for everyone. Marriage involves a restriction of freedom. It's freedom is put at the sake of love. When you're in love, you do not need external constraints. St. Paul tells us not to be conformed to this age, but be transformed in Christ Jesus. We don't obey laws because we have to, because we want to. Jesus is the one who tells us about true freedom. This is because it comes from him. He tells us, if you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples. You will know the truth and your truth will set you free. John 8, 31, 32. We need to be hungry for the truth. Theology of the body is not lifting of the rules by saying the law is not important. When a heart is transformed in Christ, we are not constrained anymore. We live in the freedom that we're supposed to live in. Jesus said that everyone who looks at women lustfully commits adultery with her in his heart. It's possible to lust after your own husband or wife. But freedom is seeking the truth and seeking it well. A good way to gauge a relationship is whether you experience true freedom in that relationships. Does it lead another person to greater freedom? Immature love is expressed in an immature way. The new attitude of the heart comes about with redemption. When we establish that objective truth is possible, this leads us to understand the true definition of freedom. If I try and steal your iPod, you know that this is wrong and I could not justify it under any circumstances. Truth and freedom either go hand in hand or perish in ministry. To live in freedom of the law is to experience purification of the heart. To be able to experience that freedom that Christ desires is a wondrous thing. We must make sure that we're witnessing to that freedom, otherwise we undercut the witness to Christ that we have with our own lives. The church does not impose truth. She proposes the truth to us. The Holy Spirit does his work in our hearts, respecting our freedom. Watch with faith to see what God has started in the hearts of others. So the body speaks a language. The body communicates a language without words. In the theology of the body, we're finding an adequate anthropology of who we are. Then after this, we go and find out to, how to live when we know who we are. First, we find our identity. Then we go to find our mission. Now is time to look into greater specifics. What does a good relationship look like? Nonverbal communication is very important in communication, according to experts. We gave over 50% of our meaning. There's over half a million different gestures the body can speak. The body can speak the truth of Christ's love. The body, therefore, can also speak a lie. The body can be prophetic. We have to distinguish between true and false prophets. Judas gives Jesus a kiss in the Gospels at the moment he betrays him. We have to understand what the body is actually saying. Total gift of self is when the body says, I give you all that I have and everything that I am. When we start to look at the body, we seem to think it's not connected to the person. When we make a total gift of self to another, my words that I use should be reflected in my body. This helps teenagers to understand the why of church rules. Many people have not been told the beauty of the church's teaching on contraception. This deals with how the body is meant to express love. 
Contraception takes the gift of fertility out of the gift of self. Our fertility is a huge part of who we are as men and women. Sense of hypocrisy in the language of the body if it's telling a lie. Pornography constitutes a lie with the body. Pornography is a very widespread with young people. Something that undercuts marriage is a training in infidelity rather than faithfulness. It's an issue women need to be sensitive with, but also very direct. There's no need to apologise over an issue that hurts many young people as it's a lie with the body. In pornography, we're pretending that there's a gift going on, but there's no gift at all. There's any money involved. In some ways, it's prostitution. It's all about taking and not giving. The body is a gift. In pornography, the body is being revealed, but the person is being obscured. It trains people in unfaithfulness. So what's the difference between sex between a marriage couple and two unmarried teenagers? After all, isn't it the same act? The difference is one is an act of consummation, the other a lie is being lived. I might say something with my body, but I lied with the whole act. A fake priest can go through the motions, but if he said mass, it would be sacrilegious. I cannot offer someone a million pounds if I only have four pounds in my bank account. If I only have one apple, I cannot give it to I can only give it to one person. Part of the apple is for the other person. If you try to give the gift to more than one person, it's incomplete and ruins the relationship like adultery. A truthful sign is when the truth in reality corresponds with the truth in my heart. When you ask somebody, how are you? Sometimes they don't always answer truthfully. When girls go dancing, they can communicate with their bodies that they want to be used. They dance with sexual emotions that only men make men only see their bodies. Perhaps the woman doesn't realize that what she's doing in her head. Later, when she's used, perhaps she still doesn't understand. She thinks maybe she should lose more weight. What she's communicating with her body does not correspond with the truth in her heart. So Pope John Paul wrote commentary on the book of Song of Songs. The groom calls to the bride. She's a garden enclosed and a fountain sealed. This is a suitable analogy of how women can express themselves by their bodies. The dignity women have is worth protecting and preserving. The woman is a master of her own mystery. If every single girl set the standard high, guarded her heart, did not have premarital sex, boys would set the standards higher. If women set the standards higher, the other sex would recognise their own dignity and worth. Rather than being hung up on one issue, they'd realise the standard of dignity is the cross. And this is how we speak the truth with the body. The legacy that's been left to us with the cross is a, is a message with the body. What is the sign going to be with my body? Will I imitate Christ with, or, or Mary with my life? How will we set our own course? It is great to help teenagers to implement some of these ideas. The body has a capacity to speak a language. If the body can speak the truth, it can also speak lies. Teenagers can learn to judge the truthfulness of sexual behavior. Anything is not the truth will lead to bad relationships. The best language of the body is a language of love. Contraception disorders the sexual act. If I can't give or receive all of you with premarital sex, adultery and pornography, the body speaks a lie. Teenagers hate being lied to. What would motivate you to tell a lie with the body to another person? How do you feel when somebody lies to you with his or her body? St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Try and speak a language without using any words at all. Pope John Paul also talks of the difference between nudity and art and pornography. He talks of the ethos of the marriage, ethos of the image, and ethos in seeing. There's a responsibility of the artist to uphold the dignity in the way he portrays the art. The ethos of seeing calls for responsibility of the viewer to have purity of heart. Capable of looking at an image with purity, sometimes we can watch a film in silence in order to ascertain who's speaking the truth and who's lying. Sometimes a person can be obscured because of the lie with the body. With your own body, make sure that you're living in truth and love. When we do, we speak the language of the gospel in our own way.
So now we're going, we're going to look at a love that is free, faithful, total, and fruitful. It's very important to apply morality to typical day-to-day -day life. When we apply theology of the body to real life, we can see its application. And we don't just let it remain in the theoretical sphere. Sometimes it's easy to get away from what's really happening in a relationship. Teenagers don't like counterfeits. It's important to get people to think about relationships and to what is Christ like and what is Christ not like. Nobody openly, deliberately offers somebody love, which is partial, coercive, sterile, and lacking commitment at the same time. Sometimes people aren't able to recognize the counterfeits. At other times, they end up falling for it anyway. John Paul II said that in some relationships, there are elements of truth, and this makes it harder for people to decipher the true nature of relationship. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We have this method of discernment, a better way to discern what is full and true. God is the ultimate good and is, and is what we have the biggest desire for. If we take the message of the theology of the body to heart, we will not end up in relationships that leave us empty and bankrupt. A free, faithful, total, fruitful principles come from Humano Vitae number nine. That's the encyclical letter by Paul VI, where the key characteristics of marriage and love are charted out. In the 20th century, contraception became easy to obtain. At the same time, false notions of freedom were spread about sexual morality. This led to changes in how and why we approach sexuality. There's some people in the church who wanted the church to modernize and become with the times. They said the church needs to modernize in order to keep us up to date. Pope Paul VI set out birth control commission in order to discern whether contraception was consistent with God's plan. Contraception is not part of God's plan. It obstructs the love of donation. The total gift of self means that in marriage, sexual intercourse will be open to life. How does the marital act image the love of God? Contraception robs the sexual life of the giving act of God's love. How does contraception compare with Christ's love on the cross? Inside a marital relationship needs to be free. In a relationship, sexual love can be expected or coerced when there's no communication. It's sexual love is a total gift. We must also make the gift of fertility. Contraception refuses to give this part. Contraception compromises on faithfulness and can rob us of the gift of motherhood and fatherhood and makes infidelity easier. Contraception restricts the fruitfulness of married love because the person says they do not desire life to come from this act. God's love is always life-giving and fruitful. It's impossible for premarital sex to mirror free, total, faithful and fruitful love. These aspects are not automatic even in marriage. Jesus and Mary are the best models of how to live love to the full. Salvation of the world came through the faithful and fruitful gift of yes of Mary and Jesus. The culmination of Christ's love is that he gave his body. Comparing our life to this is a great practical way to do theology of the body. It's important to differentiate between self-giving and self-seeking love. We end up saying, this is my body taken for me. Mary's love was possible because she was willing to receive God's love as Mary did. Marriage is a prerequisite for sex. Christ did not call us just to sex, but to love. When we try to mirror God's love in all that we do, our lives begin to change. So Paul VI made some prophetic statements in Humano Vitae. He said if contraception became widespread, there'll be a general lowering of morality. We'd be further degraded and the body would be seen as a commodity and as a tool mankind would look on the body as if he was God, if anything goes, super superiority. Pope Paul VI was a true prophet. Today we are reaping the consequences of these problems. Theology of bodies is the most beautifully brought to life when we seek to live it and bring this good news to others. When we interact with challenging material and wrestle with the ideas ourselves, we learn to love as God loves. So exploring the gift of marriage. 
Many young people have had negative thoughts about marriage. They've had hurts along the way from the experience of divorce and live-ins. Our culture is feeding them a misleading message that man can live with a man. Pope John Paul II wants us to see the profound dignity of marriage. The one flesh union of our marriage images the love of God and three persons of the Trinity. Marriage is a sacrament that points us towards the marriage of the Lamb. Means to love another person with full commitment. Marriage, faithful love, breaks through difficulty, trial, and suffering. To look for the good of another. We cannot do things always on our own. We're called to a union that's so tight that life shines through the union. We exhibit this love for our love and for each other. In Ephesians 5, we read, Husbands, love your lives as Christ loved the church. According to Pope John Paul II, Ephesians 5 is the crowning of the biblical analogy of spousal love. It represents the glory of love. It's the glory of what marriage is supposed to be, a complementary relationship. This passage of Ephesians is a real challenge. This is called what we're called to live out. A woman is called to trust and a man is to submit to his love. A woman is an archetype of humanity. A woman's body reveals receptivity to the initiating love of God. There's beautiful glory when it's lived out with God's love. This is a powerful witness and changes the world. Imagine if this was lived out in all marriages, how different the world would be if people were loving each other in the way that sacrament was intended. So God doesn't depend on us. He calls us to imitate the communion of persons in the Trinity. If we're able to live that out, we can be married. Our understanding of God as love is important. To use an adequate analogy, God wants to marry us. When we're receptive to the love of God, we can live this out. We need to stay focused on marriage as God created it. The disparity of what we see every day in our culture, we can forget the possibility to live in love that's possible in our hearts. No woman wants to find that man's going to use and abuse her. They want a beautiful life-giving love. Some girls despair and settle for something less. We need to encourage teenagers to love their spouses that they are looking for. In the scriptures, marriage is used as an analogy of God's love for us. Marriages are under attack today because they show forth the love of God. Everyone wants a glorious love story. Teenagers are scared of marriages. Looking at the statistics, maybe they should be scared. But marriage is the primordial sacrament. God calls us to be part of that beautiful marriage in heaven. Sex is something that was created by God to be holy, good, and beautiful. If we can understand this well, we can understand the whole faith and the other sacraments really well. It feels the meaning of our existence. The two become one flesh and become one subject. Sex is the wedding vows coming to life. Christ's teaching on adultery means that adultery is possible within marriage. Some people think that marriage is about finding the perfect person. There's an element of idealism with youth. Actually, it's about choosing to love the imperfect, an imperfect person. You must learn to love an imperfect spouse. You must choose to love in good times or bad. You must choose to love and choose to image God. Choose in spite of all our faults. This is how God loves us. God loves us in spite of our faults. We can't have a sacramental marriage without Christ being at the centre of our marriage. Sacramental marriage is a healthy foreshadowing of marriage in heaven. Sacrament marriage, sacramental marriages point towards heaven. This marriage is imaged on how Christ loved the church. It's based on how man loves woman and woman loves man. We need to honour God's plan for the world. When we have a cord of three, man, woman, and God, this cord is not easily broken. Find a spiritual bouquet to offer your future spouse. So marriage is a building block of society. It's most beautiful lived out in mutual submission and selfless love. If marriage, marriages break apart, our society breaks apart. Marriage is the primordial of sacrament by which grace comes to us. If we have 15 characteristics that we want our spouses to have, these are the characteristics that we must, ourselves must have. If you're looking for the perfect person, then become that perfect person and they will find you. Even when things are really hard, God gives us the grace in order to live out his will. 
Sexual intercourse outside of marriage can confuse and obstruct clear thinking. Oxytocin is released in men and women during sexual intercourse from the pituitary gland. This can impair, impair critical thinking and makes things cloudy. Relationships can become abusive if oxytocin released in a relationship that's not committed. This hormone helps a united couple. This great gift is abused when it's used in the wrong context. Science and faith can complement each other beautifully. This is one example of how science points towards the beautiful teachings of faith. So what about celibacy? Many teenagers think that celibacy is weird. It's something that people don't understand. In fact, they find it mystifying. Struggle with things we don't understand. Celibacy is about gift and sacrifice. Celibacy is a radical life. It's a free choice not to be married and point everything towards Christ and church in heaven. Celibacy speaks volumes about the spousal meaning of the body. The presence of a celibate religious helps one to think about things that are connected to God. We cannot look at a sister wearing a habit and not think about godly things. We need to remember that many people are receiving almost a daily message that continuously tells them that sexual exploration is going to lead to happiness. Films, newspapers, magazines continue to fill young people with this distortion of the truth. What can they possibly think when they encounter a celibate person who's joyful? Many people presume celibacy is boring because they can't have any excitement according to this model. Celibates that are connected with the kingdom of God are joyful. There is only a problem if the celibate is not joyful. Sexuality is something that's not only expressed through intercourse. Celibates are not ignoring sexuality. They're channeling their desires in a beautiful, fruitful way to give. They're forsaking marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Teenagers see priests as people are not happy because they're not having sex. And a lot of people who are having sex who are miserable. If people are not living their lives in the vacation as God calls them to, it makes them more likely they'll be unhappy. Sex is not synonymous with joy. Sex does not equal love. Love is synonymous with joy. Many people that sex think that celibacy is an act of repression, but celibacy for the kingdom has acquired a meaning of an act of spousal love. Celibacy fulfills the spousal meaning of the body. When our sexuality is offered to God, it's always a life-giving gift that brings forth fruit. Spiritual fatherhood and motherhood brings forth great gift for the celibate. Celibacy is the superior vocation, an objectively higher vocation according to the church. It is higher than the sacrament of marriage because it more closely participates in the marriage of the Lamb. Celibacy more closely embraces the gift life of Christ and takes on elements of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Celibacy is a gift, just as poverty is a gift. So subjectively speaking, the right vocation for us is the one God calls us to. We become most holy in the vocation that God calls us to. In the New Testament, the term eunuch is used. This is somebody who's incapable of having sex, but Jesus talks about eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that if they choose not to engage in sexual intercourse, these people skip the earthly sacrament to point directly towards heavenly marriage. Many people think there are only two options for the celebrate is repression or indulgence. To be pure of heart is to allow chastity in both celibacy or marriage. When we allow Christ to redeem us, eros needs to be infused with agape. All of our love needs to be infused with God love. Marriage is a calling from God. Marriage is something that points towards our ultimate union with God in the marriage, heavenly marriage of the Lamb. The ministerial priesthood is reserved to men. Men and women in many different ways complement each other. The spousal analogy is not an arbitrary dis decision of discrimination by the church. It's following the design of God made in creation. Christ is the in initiator of the gift to the church. The priest acts in persona Christi, the person of Christ. A woman cannot be a ministerial priest as a man cannot have a baby. Masculinity and femininity are stamped into our bodies. We're called to be a communion, 
and no one is called to be alone. Celibacy is not a calling to be lonely, but a fruit to be lived to the full. When we allow God to break open our hearts, we can discover what our vocation really is. Sometimes this can be a call within a call. Often we assume we know everything about ourselves. We can even assume that we know a lot about who we are spending our lives with. In new circumstances, our personality and habits can mature and develop and we can surprise ourselves. Today, young people need to be put in touch with people with a religious, with religious who are living a wonderful and holy way. Celibacy is like marriage to Christ in the church. Most priests and religious were invited by someone to consider their religious vocation. Anyone can be called to the priesthood. Do you know where God calls you yet? Perhaps God is calling you to religious life. Young people want to live radical lives and for the great part of life. So we pray to the Lord to send more laborers into the harvest. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers few. So finding your calling in life. Many people have trouble believing that God loves them. Others think that God's not going to call them. Do I listen to the voice of the Lord in my life? Do the sheep of the shepherd hear his voice and follow him? God speaks to us in silence. We need to learn to be comfortable in the silence. God says, be still and know that I am God. When we cultivate the voice of prayer, we learn that we're worthy of love for God created us. We have a general call to holiness to be recognized by the Second Vatican Council. But we also have a specific call and we make a total and irrevocable gift of ourselves. This leads to major fruits. This is a free and total gift of myself. There are demands on us to carry this out. We might not have many great role models of how to carry this out. People have good desires and then things go astray. Our specific vocation goes astray when our general vocation goes astray. Sometimes there might be something that's obstructing a way of receiving God's love. The reality of sin in the world means that we must receive God's gift of love before we give it away. The Blessed Virgin Mary made a free, total, irrevocable gift of herself. We can contemplate Christ in the school of Mary. Mary's yes affects entire generations to come. If we say yes to our vocation, it will change the whole church. We find clarity when we meet Christ in the sacraments. Pope John Paul said, confidently, openly, most intimate aspirations to the love of Christ who waits for you in the Eucharist. You'll receive the answer to all your worries and you'll see with the joy that the consistency of your life, which he asks of you, is the door to fulfill the noblest dreams of your youth. We cannot find ourselves apart from the gift of self. The gift of oneself takes work. Our vocation does not come naturally. We must actively work for it. We must root out selfishness from within ourselves. It's training and faithfulness. When we are then called to that vocation of love, we're ready for it. To train for faithfulness is to allow Christ to perfect our hearts. It's able to listen to God's call. When we live a sacramental life and have good mentors, this is what preparing a vocation is all about. Sometimes we cannot hear a vocation from God is there and something is over our ears. The sacrament of reconciliation lifts things out of the way. In silent time, we learn to pray and listen. If we have a journal, that's going to help us hear God's voice. We can write things that they feel God is saying to us. If we have a wise spiritual mentor, he can point us in the right direction. When we look at the desires in our hearts, if they're faithful, God can grant them. In Psalm 37.4, it says, Find your delight in the Lord, he'll give you your heart's desire. This does not mean I scratch God's back, he'll scratch mine. How can adults help teenagers discern and listen to their vacation? When we create a culture of vacation, we give them space to discuss God's plan for their life. Every teenager has a vacation. Vacation is a scary word for teenagers. Some think it just means priests or nuns. They need to know that vacation is a gift. God has given them a gift and it's important to recognise that dignity. Once uh, a chap called Brian Butler took his pupils on a mystery trip. They needed trust on this trip. They're not given any information where they're going. They're in a perpetual state of wonder and awe. 
Teenagers trust them. They're going to take them somewhere cool. They taught them about a vocational journey. God reveals piece by piece. When we have confidence in Christ, who is the center of every vocation, I can get everywhere he calls me. Every person is a unique and unrepeatable human person. God's call is unique. We are created to know, love, and serve God. A vocation might be marriage, or it could be to live a celibate life. The sacramental key, life is key to knowing how to serve God, to be aided in the yes of everyday life. We need to inspire young people on a daily basis to discern and live their vocation. The great gifts that we have been given need to be used and offered to some greater purpose. Silence is needed to help find a vocation. Pope John Paul II said, a discovery of the importance of silence is one of the secrets of practicing contemplation and meditation. One drawback of a society dominated by technology and the mass media is the fact that silence becomes increasingly difficult to achieve. Christ calls us to a mysterious life that he will reveal along the way. Listening, prayer and silence help us to find the insights needed for our vacation. One lies, if you say yes to the vacation God is calling to, then we cannot be happy. Happy does not come in spite of our vacation. The Lord of the Rings is, is a great example of how to fight the good fight. One see the main character is called to put aside the ranger and become who you're born to be. So ideas to help discerning vocations. Number one, go to her Eucharist creation. Number two, make a poster to help make a way you can encourage others to live out a vacation. Number three, listen to your thoughts. Do you have any misconceptions or good insight? Number four, find out why Pope St. John Paul II became a priest. And number five, get teenagers to write a letter to Christ about their vacation. So now we're going to talk about dating and courtship. The first paragraph on the sexual morality in the catechism of the Catholic Church states, Christian, recognize your dignity. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return to your former base condition by sinning. Remember who is your head and of whose body you are a member. Never forget that you've been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the light of the kingdom of God. That's from St. Leo the Great, sermon number 22. So we have all been called home. This is a high and difficult calling. It calls a lot of effort and prayer. It's something we can do by God's grace. Chastity is not the norm in our culture and society. God loves us the way we are, but not enough to let us stay that way. We don't have to conform to the spirit of age as what is being normalized by the culture. The modern dating system is only 100 years old. The invention of the car changed what was courtship and dating. Courtship is the way of learning about the other person. Courtship is rooted in the family of the person. You don't just get to know the person on your own. Young man, to pursue a woman, it's clear what his true intentions were. When courtship was the norm, it was easy to get to know somebody well. The film Pride and Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice is a classic example of this method of courtship. Dating is something that can be pure, beautiful, and slow. When purpose in dating becomes cloudy, problems can come along. Every decision we make has an effect on our life. The purpose of dating is to find a spouse. In dating, we're trying to find a wife. It's not wise to date somebody you could not see yourself possibly marrying. We need to be intentional with the person we're dating to look through the lens of truth. Dating with purpose and purity is what relationships are all about. Many young people will know how far is too far. They want to know the specifics. They feel it's an important question they deserve to have answered. Many people get lost in specific dynamics by talking about body parts when answering this question. But what most important is the ethos of redemption. When we give Christ a heart, the question should not be how far can I go away from Christ, but how far can I go towards Christ? If I don't marry my girlfriend, it'd be good to have no regrets, having helped her to be a better woman, helping herself be a good influence along the way. If you really love someone, you're not going to lead them off a cliff in the hope that they do not fall. To have a relationship with others can mean we're helping to find them their cool. This can even be pride to friendship. We're continually looking for the good of others in this way. 
When young people can find support and love in the pursuit of truth and purity, they can go towards the future of vocations healthy and intact. Our sexuality is about not who we are, about who we are, not what we do. We can re redirect our sexual energy. We're going to find that life that God has planned for us. God has a specific time and place for sexual intercourse within marriage. The far as sexuality is not the problem. It's the correct place at that far that's most important. To build relationships and friendship first is the most important thing. In the book of Song of Songs, it said, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. Christian friendship is great importance as a building block in a relationship. Great marriages can come about when we learn to love as women, as sisters. It takes a lot of discipline. Either we learn to control our passions or our passions control us. If you don't learn how to be able to say, to say our yes is going to mean nothing. So purity starts with prayer. Life of prayer can purify life on a daily basis. We spend time with Jesus, we can have a heart that will continue to be pure. Time in the sun changes the colour of the skin. Time with Jesus changes our hearts to be purer. Pope John Paul II said that chastity is a difficult and long-term matter, but a sure way to happiness. And chastity makes us free to love. We're able to live out this calling. It's important to remind teenagers that they are walking tabernacles, they're creation of gods and temples of the Holy Spirit. In this way, they'll be less likely to desecrate the temple. We can learn to love God, to treat each other with the love that God has for us. Our call is to love as God loves. We can take a lot of good elements of courtship, getting to know each other, the other person, friendship, and getting to know their family. If a teenager can express chastity fully later in life, it'll be easy. Relationships need to be built on friendships rather than sex because it's proper hierarchy or roadmap for a relationship. The gift of sex is not something to be repressed or indulged in a dating relationship. We need to live radical lives for Christ. We need to aggressively pursue the vocation that God has for us. Purity in a relationship helps us to bring each other closer to Christ. Our purpose for Christ is to love like Christ. When we stay in the life of prayer, we look forward in love to the good of the other. So living for greatness. God created us in his own image and likeness. He created our bodies and sexualities, things that are good. Our bodies reveal the mystery of God. The creature reveals something of the creator. Our bodies make visible what's invisible. How do we explain our sexual desires? All our desires are a desire for God. G.K. Chesterton once said, at the door of every brothel is a man looking for God. All our desires are for God. Our desires were there at the beginning, given to us by God. The call to love is nurtured and fostered through our parents. We are called to love to prepare for our destiny that is with God in heaven. In the present age where we're living now, we struggle with sin. We have a heritage of redemption in Christ. Christ does not leave us to our own devices, but calls us to bring back to the purity of our origins. We have hope in Christ. Our destiny is to be with God forever. We're able to join it in the marriage in heaven. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. We are called to love as God loves. St. Teresa of Lusia said, my vocation is love. We all have a specific vocation and a general vocation. Our love is within the framework of something that's free, total, faithful and fruitful. In the battlefield of our hearts, you must decide whether lust is going to win or whether love is going to be victorious. Lust is trying to experience love without the author of love. If we include God with what he's given us, we're never going to be taken from others because we'll be orientated toward the gift of self-donation. So the family is the school of love. Many young people are skeptical about family life, especially if they have a ne negative experience of it personally. Freedom exists for the sake of love. According to John Paul, as I lay my down my life in every way, I speak this truth in the way, in the way I behave and I treat my friends. We can aid others in small and beautiful ways. We need to lift up heroes to aid others in a practical way to show that family life is possible. Many vocations come from role models early in life. When we look at the lives of the saints, we realize that many vocations were the fruit of another vocation. 
When we learn how to share God's love and testimony, we come to realize how God is sharing and working in all of our lives. Gospel does not change, but we can be part of this new evangelization. There are new ways of evangelization. We have the power to bring the gospel to the edges of the earth. Teenagers can join in this noble task. When teenagers use their own creativity and genius, they are truly free. We do not need to be afraid of the future and for other desires. We must be confident in the life that God has for us, to follow that life that Christ has for us. We need to have an integrated life. We need to place Christ at the center, not only of our minds, but also our hearts. When we live in our th- life authentically, we can evangelize with acts of service. Christ comes to us where we are. It doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done in the past. The purpose of the body is good. Sexuality is a gift from God. God is the author of life and love. Some men plant, others water, but God gives the growth. Well, thank you so much indeed for listening today.